0: Welcome to Toby Hadoak's Who's Round, another Countdown to Christmas special, this one with a companion, a gorgeous knife-wielding assistant whose legs were always on display, oh yes. Hello, everybody. I'm in the club for actors and actors, and I'm, I'm with an actor. I'm an act. Tom's uh, <laughs> And uh, this is the first... Uh, we've had a wee snippet of Nicola Bryant, but this is the first regular from Doctor Who who's agreed to do this podcast, and I'm, I'm pleased that it's the person that it is, so I'm going to ask him to tell me who he
1: is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. My name is Fraser Hines and I play Jamie McCrimmon, uh, longest-serving companion in Doctor Who and Guinness Book of Records holder as
0: well. Well, this is going to be interesting, Fraser, because my task is to get an anecdote from every story, but I think it would be cheating to polish off the whole of the Trouton era with you. And also, we did a DVD commentary recently and I asked you if there's anything you hadn't been asked about Doctor Who and you said you didn't think there was.
1: Uh, no, I've been asked most questions, but when, we, when you questioned me the other day uh, in Liverpool, it's <clears throat> only in my car later on the way home, you said, Is there any um, person or companion you would like to have worked with? And obviously I said, I'd love working with, with all our lot. There's one companion I'd like to have worked with, and that is Leela, which is um, Louise Jameson. Because I have this fantasy, Toby, of. We were the only two that carried knives. We were the only two companions that carried a weapon. If you think about it, nobody else carried a weapon. And I can imagine my daughter, say, Patrick, the water's rising, he's tight to the stake, and the snakes are coming and the alligators, and I'm going to rescue him, cut, cut the ropes. And Leela says, no, I will cut the ropes. And I said, no, I, I've got the knife, and she says, I've got the knife. And Leela and Jamie wrestle on the floor. Who's going to rescue the doctor? And Patrick going, for God's sake, get him. What of you? What of you? What have you? Just, just, just cut the bloody rope! What we're actually... Louise James and I are wrestling. She's in this loincloth, and I'm in my kilt, and we're wrestling. And... Uh, would you excuse me? I have to go and have a cold shower. At the moment.
0: <laughs> yes, I like that. So I think that the, the, the impetus behind the question was, so yes, which, which performer would you most like to share screen time with? And you're going, I'd get to wrestle a lady wearing leather.
1: That, that, that's, that's right, yes. <laughs> I mean, actually, I'm, I'm watching a show on, on horror of the channel at the moment called The The Lost World. Uh, it's, it's an adaption of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World. Um, John Landis is the producer. And one of the ladies there is dressed very like Leela. Yeah, you, mu- you must watch it. It's on Horror Channel. Oh well, it's on. They're up to episode five of twenty-two at the moment. It's good, and it's very well shot as well. Made in Australia.
0: Okay, mm. okay, I'll do that. But talking of actors, um, who are the you've worked with a lot of? You started very young as an actor. Who were the actors? And I don't necessarily mean in terms of fun, but who were the actors that you worked with that were the best that you thought? Wow, that you learnt from. That you thought, wow,
1: they're doing stuff I didn't know. You could do uh, well Dean Jagger would, would would come to mind straight away because we did X the Unknown, mm-hmm. uh, and I had this long, long scene with him and <clears throat> he didn 't sit in his trailer and wait for the uh, the, the take or anything. he took me aside and he said right fraser let 's go over the lines let 's do the scene and that, that, I like the way you 're doing that and he he took time to, to do this scene I was a twelve year old kid. So Dean Jagger would, would be the first in my memory to, to spring to mind. Charlie Chaplin would be another person. He was writing, starring, producing, acting in the King New York. Again, he gave a lot of time to this little nine, ten-year-old oik acting. So Instead of just saying you do this, you do that, He's, he kind of took to me as well. So that I've always remembered that. T- um, and then roll on years later, I, I did Emergency to War Ten, <clears throat> and the first day of rehearsals uh, Paula Byrne, Desmond Carrington, John Carlyle, all stars Emergency um, Emersion War Ten was a big hit show at the time. They all came up introduced themselves and said hello i 'm paula Byrne, i 'm John uh, hello Desmond Carrington, would you like a cup of coffee and I always remember, if ever I become a soap actor or a, a long running part I would always welcome them. because there's nothing worse than turning up on the first day rehearsals as you would know Toby and everybody's in a in little cliques and stuff and you go onto the set and nobody talks to you I've always thought no always welcome people because the more relaxed they are the more relaxed they're going to be in that tape so the, the, you're not going to take ten takes because they're scared and frozen they've got me right so I would, when I did Emmerdale anybody new came to the show said like, oh my Fraser you know let's get on with this let's do the lines have a cup of coffee always relax somebody else who who you're working with because the more relaxed they are you probably do one take and you're very good because you're you're sort of
0: on when you're off in the sense that you are you enjoy show business and you're and you're convivial in a green room. You know you're not one of those people who disappears to the corner. But sometimes when you do this job, it can get frustrating and it can be difficult. Have you ever do you ever have you ever had times when you've when you've got cross about something on set and you've not been able to contain it, or are you pretty good at keeping it and then
1: just uh, unleashing it when you get home? I, I remember once I, I really lost it on, on in Emmerdale once. Um, we were double stranded which meant there 's two productions at the same time director A, director B and um, neither director would look at the other director 's schedule, so you could be actually working your socks off till six o 'clock in the evening and then the next director would have you eight o 'clock in the morning and not realizing you just finished at six o 'clock and I had this long speech about sheep and, and the weight of the sheep and the, we did about nine takes in the end I, just, I threw this, these, these files up in the air and said oh for F's sake who wrote this you know, can't you give me a day off or something You know, I, I do remember losing my temper once but I don't know, no. You're not a prima donna, are you, Fraser? No, no, no. I've turned up on it. The... You turn on the set, and let's, let's have a laugh. I'd rather hear laughter than tears. And, and I've worked with a lot of people who are prima donnas, and you think, oh, I don't know. Why, why do people, and you read about it, American stars in particular, why do you read that you're paid a fortune to do a job you love doing? So why would you get all arsy and big-headed about it? it, it somebody said, but acting's hard work. No, act, hard work is going down a mine and chipping away coal and coming back up and you're covered in coal dust your know, lungs. You have to have a shower every day, clean yourself. That's hard work. Acting is... There'll be... If you're doing a, a movie or a long-running TV series, sure, there'll be three days where suddenly you're acting, you're, you're learning your lines, going go to bed, learning lines, going to bed. Learning, oh, no, when will this stop? Then you've got like, four days. You've got a, a, a one line. You know, a, a, we used to mark our scripts at Emmerdale, you know, VH that meant very hard, E-H, easy to hard, Deborah, that meant a winger, it was a winger,
0: <laughs> and
1: N-A, no action required, it means you had no dialogue, so if somebody said, Fraser, can we go out on Thursday night on the razzle, you'd look at me your schedule and go, uh, no, I've got an E-H and a Deborah, no, yeah, I can go out, we can go out, an E-H and a Deborah, I can, that means I have to learn little lines, you know. That's how we mark our scripts. I like it, I like it. And
0: um, aside from,
1: you know, the, the Doctor Who well, stories- I, sorry, yeah, no? can, I go and can I just add, three years ago I was listening to Desert Island Discs, and Gregory Peck was on it. And they simply questioned, and he said, yes, I mark my script up, da-da-da, N.A. And they said, what, what N.A is it? No, action required. I thought. Even the Hollywood greats put N-A, that means he walks across the car park. He gets into his car and drives away. No... I thought even it would great. no acting required. well actually, if you look at a Hollyoak
0: script, it's got that all the way through. Oh. <laughs> 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 I mean, that's, that was going to lead on to the, the, the next question. Is yes. that Aside from doing Doc Two, actually, you actually you
1: do the conventions. We did one last weekend, and you, you genuinely enjoy that stuff. I always say uh, people have said, to me, "Oh, but these these conventions, you know, do uh, you get paid? Sometimes you get paid a lot of money. Sometimes sometimes you get paid from But I always say, "Don't go." To them, if you don't want to meet people and talk to people, If I enjoy meeting people. I enjoy talking to people. I mean, I'm talking to you. I'll talk to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you you know, don't go to America. Just think, and then sit in your bedroom, and then come out and do a panel and go back to your bedroom. You know, we enjoy meeting people and the Americans always say, hey, you Brits are so friendly, you hang around the bar. We said yeah, we're we'll waiting for you to buy us a drink. But, you know. but the American stars um, of Stargate and all those, you see them come out of the lift with them four-minders, sign, 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 panel, back in the lift, you never see them. But we, we Brits, yeah, we hang around the bar because we like to meet people and talk to people. We're gregarious, we're outgoing. And that's why I say to me, don't come to convention if you don't want to talk and meet people. Well, um, I do have to get to doctor anecdotes for
0: this, but I, I'm also very wary of uh, replicating what is said on the DVDs. I always try to make these um, podcasts something slightly different. But fortunately, you're not on the DVD commentary for the Crotons, so I think I can legitimately get an anecdote from you from, from the
1: Crotons. Yes, which, why, why am I not on the Cro? Why, why is I, that?
0: I don't know. I don't
1: know. I'm not expensive. <coughs> very cheap. I suspect it was scheduling. I don't know. I'm not even on the front cover of the DVD. No the protons, which I found very surprising because there's Patrick and Wendy and, hang on, there was three of us in the TARDIS, you know, it's not like there was nine of us or ten of us on the front cover, which rankles me a bit, because I think, well, oh, hang on, we were a trio, three musketeers. Um, but, the, yeah, the, my one story about the protons, which I, I have actually said before, that originally we were doing the Wheel in Space, uh, the Prison in Space, where we were all trapped, uh, and it was run by women in very short black leather trousers and Marilyn and Monroe Dinah Doors lookalikes in tight, you know. Trousers. And all the men were subservient, and, and we weren't.
0: Uh,
1: and it was a comedy, Doctor Who, but I think it was Peter Bryant at the time that you're, you're having too much fun. We're going to do a serious one. And he dug the crotons out. And um, I've always said the crotons were my least favourite story, and I forget who the writer was. And it I... was actually Robert Holmes, who went on to be the yeah, well, doyen of Doctor Who Wright. Yeah. Now, that surprised me, because Robert Holmes did... Uh, to the, I, uh, the, he did uh, the two doctors uh, that you, He did the two doctors, which I loved. I loved the two doctors. He had all the the humour in it. In, in fact, we were talking earlier. When I did the BFI recently... We all watched it with an audience, and there was laughter, and I said on the panel, I'm so pleased because now I know where the laughter was, and because people said, what do you mean where the laughter was? Well, when we did it, we, we thought this is a gag here, and this would be funny, but when you watch it at home with your pals or your neighbours, you're not laughing out loud, but to hear in an audience with two or three hundred people, laughter en masse, so to speak. We thought, yeah, we got it right. That was funny. Well, the interesting thing about The Two Doctors, and this is good because
0: actually we're doing a thing now, ladies and gentlemen. We are polishing off the Colin Baker era because I have an anecdote from every Colin Baker story apart from The Two Doctors. So, Colin, we are polishing off now. Um, the Two Doctors it is funny. It's also a sort of black comedy in the sense that it's about what, how we exploit animals and then suddenly we become exploited and that's quite interesting. Um, but there's a stylistic thing. There's that lovely performance from James Saxon as the actor Oscar, but then he suffers a horrible and violent death and and a lot of people have cited that as a step too far um, in terms of, because it's this slightly grotesque and over-the-top story, then suddenly to have a character like that die quite nastily was was a misjudgment in tone. What do you think about that? Well,
1: People are very strange because they didn't complain that in Dastari's office when the scientist dashes in and goes and gets killed. Nobody complains about that at all. But just because James Sack saw a bit of blood, yeah. that's where people complain. But no, people do die in Doctor there's, I always say, there's always a Dalek's almond. Dalek's, ah! That's it, one line, dead. But they complain because we actually saw Blood. Red Blood and that was um... do you not have a, so you don't you don't have a problem with violence no. telly of that kind well you mean you mean the two doctors yeah well, to me, there's there no violence is is grabbing a, a woman by the throat and smashing her in the face and throwing her against the wall. And yeah, but we're so, not talking about your love life now. Right? No, <laughs> no I, I can't. I can't watch slasher movies. I can't. Sure. You know, uh, people say, "Oh, come watch this Teen Night prom like, No, I said because I love women so much. I don't want. I can't see them harmed. I can't. So I say, no. Count me out. I'll go watch you know, I'll go to something else. But, no, that's fine. Or somebody with a baseball bat getting clunked over the head and, and... That is vital. He just got stabbed. It was just—it was a knife wound. That was it. Well, poor old Peter Moffat gets a lot of stick as well
0: in in, in, in terms of sort of latter Doctor Who. Is he Stephen Moffat's father? Uh-huh. no, no. Um, but he he directed the two doctors. And he seems to everyone seems to have enjoyed working with him. And, yeah. and he gets a lot of stick for not being for not say having a close up on the Sultaran when the Sultaran takes a helmet off. But did he also was he also not somebody that polished off all the location scenes so then turned some. Studio scenes into location scenes.
1: I think he was marvelous to work for. He was an actor's director. If you wanted to suggest something, you know, and we did, Patrick and I obviously, he didn't say, No, no, it's not in the script, you must do it. Uh, It was a relaxed studio and relaxed location, so much so that, as you you said, he came to us in the hotel saying, Well, um, we finished uh, all the location filming, and we've got two days left, and we can't go home because the hotel's booked the flight is booked for 2 days so, if any of you can have any ideas, what scenes should be put on location? And so we all went to our hotel rooms, and they came back. And so much of that stuff now, on, in the two doctors, is, is on location that should have been studio-bound. I, mean, I think Colin listening outside the door when he falls off that little beer crate or something. I think that was studio where he, he fell on the door handle Pete Peter Moffat was was brilliant like that. You know, he got everything done, record time, and great performances. And added. Little stuff like um, Cassini and Dastari going around the, in, in that open top, horse strong. He just put that in because we had so much time left. Now, a lot of directors, you would actually be pulling your hair out because Christ, we've got half a day left and there's still four scenes to shoot. Peter just got on with it and everybody worked, the prop guys worked for him because they knew he'd say, Right, we're going on to the scene now, can you get me? He said, It's here, Governor, it's here, Governor. So they were ahead of the game because they knew that we might finish at six o'clock or four o'clock in the afternoon. They, everybody worked for Peter Mock. and which which is which is a, actually a sign of a good
0: director. But in, in, a, in a different, in different yeah. Terms. Well, going going back to the Crotons briefly, um, is that that was David Maloney directing? Yes, so, yeah, and yeah. He directed a lot of those last ones in the, the War Jacks Games last year, the, War games and War. Mind yeah. and the Mind Robber. So, mind Robber. So, and he went on to become probably the most sort of prolific of the
1: classic series directors. So what, do you remember David? Oh, David! again, a lovely man. Uh, more of the, One of the more serious directors, but he had a sense of humour. If you wanted to put a, a joke in, he'd roll his eyes and go, oh, all right, then show me what it's like and I'll see what I, you know. Uh, he was lovely like that. And if Patrick and I were going over the top,'d go, "No, come on, boys, come on boys we 're going too far now, other times it oh, very well, you know, love it and a great again, a great director, wonderful to work for, um, and you get it in, in on time, uh, and rehearsals were were fun." I get the impression that Doctor was a very
0: happy ship when you were on it. And I'm not after scandal or gossip with these podcasts because they're celebratory. But I'm, I'm interested in that not everything is always perfect. And, and if something wasn't, if an episode wasn't as happy or wasn't as successful, what was it that people got wrong in terms of how they came in or what they did?
1: I, well, I don't know when you say... Got wrong every time a new cast member came in, um, we would welcome them straight away. And we had um, Wolfie Morris, for instance, mm-hmm. playing Padma, Sava- Padma On Monday, he was very serious. Tuesday, by Wednesday, we'd broken his spirit and he was doing lines with his eyes crossed. And all that, you said the same about Norman Jones with the bomb as well. Didn't yeah, you? We, we got him in here, we got him in here, because it was no, it was a happy show, and, and we. we Told them, let's get all the jokes out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday because the producers are on Thursday and Friday. And so, we might be in the studio on Friday. We just made everybody, it's a happy show, it's, it's all right, it's serious, but let's enjoy ourselves. Some directors would actually say, Right, Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon, do a, a run, um, you're all Irish, or Patrick, you're Welsh, Fraser, you're Irish, and Deborah, you're Scottish, or whatever, you know, we, and or a speed run. He said it's a 24-minute episode. I want to see it in 15 minutes. So we had, you knew then. Christ, I had to know my lines, no pauses, no. Yes, well, uh, <clears throat> I don't think we ought to. No, yes, well, I don't think we ought to. You had to know your lines. So, uh, so a lot of the, Michael Ferguson was one of those directors. He'd say, right, we we'll do a speed run, a speed run, you know, and. Again, it kept you on your toes.
0: And in terms of... I don't know if you remember the, the story, the moon base with the, with the Cybermen and Patrick Barr.
1: Oh, Patrick uh, Barr, yeah. I'd worked with Patrick Barr before, you see, in a, in a, a stage play called On a Bright... Uh, Richard O'Sullivan was playing his son was a, he, he was an American uh, Secretary of State and I was his son, uh, Richard was his son and Richard had to leave to make a movie so I took over from Richard and we, we did it at the Lyric Hammersmith with Betty Marsden oh, yes. and uh, I, I, I had a small part even though it was a big part but on the, on the billing so I'm up in my dressing room listening on the tannoy and I'm in this sort of straw chair and I hear my cue coming up <clears throat> so I, think, I, I, I went to get out of my chair and my sweater caught in the chair and I'm trying to get out of the chair and I thought oh, Christ I can't get out and, and eventually I, I threw the chair and I'm running down from the top dressing room Lyric Hammersmith and I hear the cue and what, what it was Patrick Barr is having an affair with his secretary, and I knock on the door, hi, Dad, it's, I want to show you my new aeroplane. Uh, just a minute, son, just a minute, son. Yeah. And I hear my voice going, hi, Dad, I want to show you my... And I stop. My voice is saying my lines, but I'm, I'm, I'm still on the steps, coming down the corridor. And I get onto the stage and, OK, Dad, can I show my aeroplane now? Yeah, yeah, you can come in now, son. And it was Betty Marsden was actually doing my voice... Off, off stage, brilliant. so she threw me on stage, and I went, "Hi, Dad, here's my aeroplane you know. But there was that funny thing, Toby. You're walk- walking down the stage. You hear your somebody doing your lines and your voice, and I'm going, hey, "Who? I, no, I'm here. I'm, I'm running down It was Betty Mars and Do My dialogue That's brilliant. Mm. That's brilliant.
0: Um, and when you did, the reason I asked about Moonbase is because it's one I haven't got an anecdote from and it was
1: directed by Maurice Barry, who I remember Wendy very, certainly saying was was very hard on. Oh, very dour. He had no sense of humour. That's why in the Tomb of the Cybermen, when Patrick and I had that little gag about holding Victoria's hand, we didn't rehearse it at all, because we knew Morris was, no, 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 you can't. You can't. That's why we, didn't, we waited till the take. But, yeah, on, on the moon base... Um, it, I, I don't remember much about it except well, sleeping. Conscious for a lot of it, yeah, well, you did the stuff on the moon with the kirby oh, wires. Oh, they hurt, those kirby wires, uh, even Annika Wilson, she hasn't got anything that, that we have got, but even she would say, oh, it rubs your inner thighs, you know, and those awful helmets we had on, those plastic, the minute you put them on and they screwed you in, what happens? The, the mind's a very strange thing, the minute you can't do something wants to do it, so the minute you are bolted in, you want to scratch your nose. Now why do you want to scratch your nose? Because you know you can't scratch your nose, and they fog up as well. As you talk, they would fog up. Nowadays, they're fantastic costume. You know, you could do it. But in those days, they were horrible. It was horrible. It wasn't a very happy time working on the base. Well, there's more to you than Doctor Who, and you've told a
0: lot of your Doctor Who stories a lot before. So tell me about. So you were you were young. You were a, a sort of stage school boy. Was was it inevitable that you were going to be an actor?
1: Well, I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of actors. Um, I mean, I, when I joined, those was Dennis Waterman, Susan George, Richard O'Sullivan, Jeremy Spencer, who was a brother of David Spencer, who, who's, just died. who's just died. That's right, um, Tomney uh, in the um, the Yeti story. Yeah. But we just fooled around. You weren't really acting. I mean, when you're a twelve year old kid, you don't going to the deep inner thought. You're playing a a, a 12-year-old kid who plays cowboys and Indians, only there's something filming. And a lot fell by the, the wayside, but I was one of the lucky ones, and Richard uh, and Francesca, Susan, George, uh, Dennis, we, we sort of rose to the top. There was a lot that fell by the wayside. You've never had to do a day job, have you? I did a day job once, funny enough, when I, when I left Doctor Who, it was at Christmas time, and I wasn't working, I wanted to do something, and I, I did a postman's round at Chiswick. I was a postman. Signed on, you know, relief postman, and I went down Clovelly Road and Bath Road and everything. Got up early in the morning, which I used to get up anyway, sorting all my mail out with his, the postman, and I'd follow him round, and, yeah, not a lot of people know that. No, I, I, was a, I was a postman. I like that.
0: And I want to ask you about, because um, you're, you're a countryman, you're a man of the countryside. Oh, yeah, Is, yeah. Was yeah. That, that was prior to Emmerdale. You've all had an affinity with the
1: country. No, we lived in Chiswick. Right. We lived so in you, Chiswick. You uh, fell in love
0: with the countryside. Because
1: of Emmerdale, I went to Emmerdale with filling up in the country. Yeah, that was it. But you're not a you're not a green lobby person. You're not a, you're not
0: you're not an environmentalist in that sense. That we're, I think we've had discussions where you're you're dubious about that side of things. Are you, or am I wrong? I don't know. What are your what is what are your thoughts
1: about what's being done to the environment in the countryside? Oh well, 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 when you read about you know, we, we must build more houses and you know in the countryside. No, leave the countryside. There's, you go to Manchester, Leeds, Salford, or wherever. There's warehouses running derelict, you know. Liverpool. For, Liverpool. You
0: see those housing
1: where all up. Yeah, all boarded up. And you can buy some of those houses for about a pound or something. It's ridiculous. No, leave the countryside as it is, um, and convert the inner cities. That's what I would say. Yeah. And
0: can I talk about, because you, it's interesting, you had cancer
1: a few years ago. That's what, yeah. Um, and you kept that to yourself, or you certainly didn't go public. No, I, I, didn't want, I didn't want sympathy. I was doing pantomime at the time. I didn't want people to say, oh, you just sit uh, have a cup of tea, Fraser, don't do the tap routine, don't do the busy bee routine. Just, I just wanted to carry on. And, Did uh, you tell anyone? Uh, the producer of, of the panto, I had to tell him. Because I said, you know, um, I've got cancer, I've got chemotherapy in the morning, do you want to write me out? And he said, well, you do the show, Fraser, and if you collapse, I'll go on stage and read the script for you, you know, so he said, you, you have my, you know... Did you tell fram family or anything like that? Uh, my wife at the time, Liz, she knew obviously. I uh, think uh, Liz, Chris Moraine, the producer, and his wife obviously. And I think that was all. I didn't want anybody else to know. But you're, and always, you're after
0: always the life and soul. You see. So, did that burden you? Did you have? Did and it's a scary thing. I'm sure. I don't know, but I know. But did you have? You know, was it? You have moments of. Do you have dark moments? <laughs> <deep>
1: moments? <laughs> oh, yeah, because I'm always la- ha- laughing and happy. Like in people's old phrases, but yeah, there are moments I I do get you know, like a lot like the comedian. You know, I do get depressed a lot, and people say you can't. You're always laughing and Well, I said well, if you don't, you slit your wrists. And so what do you do when you when you're feeling like that? How do you how do you cope with it? Uh, how do I cope with? it uh, I put on the TV and find an American comedy channel and. Watch Big Bang Theory or something, and think, I'd like to be in that, and, and throw yourself your, your cap in the ring, and say, Yeah, wouldn't it be nice to, to do so, and to take your mind off it completely? And you love, the, you love comedy, you love old oh, comedy. I'll go to my grave screaming and yelling, in fact they won't get the coffin lid down if I haven't done a sitcom. I've done Duty Free, that was playing myself one episode. I want to do a sitcom, a sitcom and I'll probably do my own warm-up as well. I want to do, I love Mrs Brown's Boys, I go, how wonderful to do a show like that. I want to do a sitcom, that's what I, what I want to do.
0: Well I hope the sitcom producers out there are listening. I've exceeded my time, uh, I wanted to do more than Doctor Who, and I think we have, and also what about privilege that you're the first uh, regular Doctor Who actor to do this podcast. Oh, really? So yeah yeah. Oh, Mark. So oh, thanks good. for doing that. So I really talk. appreciate it. You you know we we're in a social occasion but you you kept saying no we we you know we've got to do this thing and I didn't <laughs> want to badger no. So, So when I want to say you're, you know you're a friend of mine and I'm very grateful and I'm proud to know you. Oh. And thank you. But well, We Fraser. go back a long way Toby we, we go back a long yeah. way. And you're a good man and it's um thanks very much. Fre- what is your charity phrase?
1: Uh, well um when I do these Doctor Who conventions, people always come up and say, oh, Fraser, can we have a photograph of you on, on the mobile? I said, well, yeah, just put some money in the pot there for my bowel cancer charity. And I'm doing this thing, and I've, I've done it three times, £85, £45, and Earl's court the other week, 294 pounds. Wow. So, just by like people putting two quid, a fiver, you know, it's bowel cancer, something, you know, obviously very near to me. Uh, I'm, I'm setting up this bank account, which is so, they talk about money laundering. It's so difficult to set up. In the old days, I could have Fraser Hines, one, Fraser Hines, two. I could have two bank accounts. Now, even though they know who you are, you try and, because I don't want people to give me a check. To Fraser Hinds, oh, Fraser Hinds bowel cancer brackets. You go to a bank. Can we? Oh, we can't open a bank account like that. It's Fraser heinz bowel cancer. It's not Fraser heinz Rubber tree works or car sales, it's, it's a charity
0: because, of course, you can't accept the money because then the tax
1: man will go, Well, yeah. You know, well, and also, somebody said, Well, I gave him a cheque for 100 quid and did, did it go into to him personally? I could siphon it off to other bowel cancer charities, but I I want to see how much I personally can yeah. raise for bowel cancer. So, uh, all going around, It's it's phrased out bowel cancer. Yeah. Well, no, you know, nobody who listens
0: to this is paying for it because I don't get paid and we do, you don't get paid, and it goes out for free so everyone who's listening please to Fraser Hines Bowel Cancer Charity terrific and it's doc- the reason we're doing this is because it's Doctor Who's 50th birthday I think you spent more time with Doctor Who fans than most but what's
1: your message to the Doctor Who fans on the 50th anniversary of Doctor Who oh d- Keep watching the show and um, and keep writing to Stephen Moffat saying it's about time Jamie came back. <laughs> ah. <laughs> and on that note we will continue with our
0: uh, our convivialities. But Fraser Hines, thank you very much. Pleasure, always a pleasure to talk to you, Toby. Bless you. Thank you, mate. That was great. That was great. Twenty. Mm-hmm. Well, in the old days. Twenty. Uh, thanks to Fraser I can't find an online presence for his charity I think uh, you have to donate to him uh, in person at conventions and things Uh, please do correct me if I'm wrong Um, so if you're going to see Fraser give him some money for his charity and tell him it's because you listen to ooze round another bowel cancer charity that I know he's done work for is the Bobby Moore uh, Fund which is Bobby Moore with an E on the end fund all one word Bobby Moore Fund www.cancerresearchuk.org which is another charity committed to beating bowel cancer um, next up and now I haven't interviewed all of the companions so I can't keep this up for the whole of the 90s but we're counting down to Christmas too so we have a couple of Christmassy people on our list as well uh, as we reach the milestone of a hundred who's Rounds um, so it's a festive fellow uh, in the next chat and here's a preview of that Before, at the very beginning Simon Torchford if you have a tone meeting there would be like a buzzword or some some phrase that would be you know central to the whole thing remember his baritone voice just going Christmas dinner <laughs> <laughs> you know, haha that, 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 that was my remit <laughs> you know, Christmas dinner it was just like the whole thing so which was just you know
1: this is going to be you know uh, you know the idea that Christmas dinner is just too much. It's more than you can go. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions, The Omega Factor. Omega. The last letter of the Greek alphabet. The end. In this case, the end of scientific knowledge. We are asking you to go further than that end, beyond the end, to the omega factor, and further. Big Finish. We love stories.